Welcome, everyone, to FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm your host, Aaron White, and today we have for you a special interview with the director of the upcoming documentary, Facing Nolan. I say upcoming, but the film actually premiered at this year's South by Southwest Film Festival in 2022 and has had a limited theatrical run so far, but it will be coming to streaming platforms right around the corner. And we are excited to be able to share with you this conversation we had with the director, Bradley Jackson. Before I get to that, let me quickly just read to you the short synopsis of this documentary and give you a little bit of information about is Nolan Ryan's numbers tell a story, but numbers alone do not capture his essence. Certain flashpoints have emblazoned him onto our subconscious, like pitching with his jersey covered in blood, running a cattle ranch during the offseason, and the iconic brawl where Nolan walloped the 20 years younger Robin Ventura. Despite mythical moments and statistical brilliance, Ryan's career is a study in extremes. Not only does he hold the record for most walks and most wild pitches, but he's also given up the most grand slams and the most stolen bases. Many of today's baseball analysts don't consider him to be among the greats. With all of this in mind, this film poses the question, where does Ryan fit in the ever-evolving game of baseball? I'll tell you now, Patrick and I absolutely adored the film. We are big baseball fans, and Nolan was pitching as we were coming up as young kids playing the sport in Little League, playing it in the backyard and at the parks, and he was a legend for us, just like he was for Bradley. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with the director about the film. And then hopefully, if you haven't already, you will get a chance soon to check it out for yourself. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we really love the film. Thanks. And first of all, I wanted to ask you this really random question. Have you ever watched a, this TV program on Apple TV Plus called The Morning Show? I have, yeah. Bradley Jackson, a.k.a. Reese Witherspoon. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're, you're only like the five millionth person that's brought I'm it sorry. up. I'm so. sorry. I know. <laughs> she totally I mean, I ruined like, my <laughs> Google searchability. Yeah, you're number two, and I was like, no. We, I know. You got, we got to get know. you to number one. <laughs> I know. Sorry. It's a bummer, I, but I, I, listen, <laughs> listen. I'm a, big, I'm a big Reese Witherspoon fan. Election is one of my favorite movies, and so like if there's if there's a Hollywood starlet that's going to take my name, I just love <laughs> Reese Witherspoon. De- definitely, uh, you know she's kind yeah. of an our era person. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, let's talk about Nolan. Let's talk about Nolan Ryan here. Yeah. I want to yeah. start up front with the kind of easy softball baseball softball question here, sure, which is sure. just why why did Nolan Ryan become the subject of your first feature film and this documentary? What led you to wanting to tell this story? Well, I grew up in Texas, and as a child of the 80s and 90s, if you're a sports fan in Texas, by proxy, that means you're a Nolan Ryan fan. He, in my mind, if you're from Texas, he is the most famous Texas athlete that's ever lived. And because he, not only was he born and raised in Texas, but he also played about 20, almost, uh, about 15 years of his career in Texas. And just the records and the accomplishments and the legend and the myth and the lore surrounding him. He's just one of those. I mean, he's a, he's a folk hero, um, who just happens to be real. So that's the why. And I just, you know, it was kind of, I was kind of in awe that nobody had really given him the proper treatment yet. So I was really, you know, excited when it, when I 
was able to kind of convince him and his family to, to let me be the one to do it. Was this always in your plans to kind of graduate into feature films versus short films? Just curious how that happened. No, I mean, like, I never thought I would make documentaries uh, coming out of, like, film school. And, yeah, I, I thought I was going to be the next, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson. You know, that's I, Or Wes Anderson, that's kind of the dream that, you know, if you're from Texas, you want to be you want to be the next Wes Anderson. But I just, you know, in my mind, kind of just thought I would be like a, a writer director. And then I kind of gravitated more towards the screenwriting side of things and had had some like small successes there. And I just kind of stumbled into the documentary space when a when a good friend of mine uh, one day was just like, hey, I've got a documentary that that I'm being tasked to, to, to make. And I don't know how to make a documentary. And I need somebody who has, who has like storytelling slash writing chops to kind of help me. And I was like, I don't know. I don't think I'm, you know, a documentary guy. And he's like, well, this thing pays. And I was like, great, sign me up. I'll do anything. So that's kind of how I got into the documentary space. And I just realized I, I loved it. And it's it's very similar to narrative filmmaking. Um, there's just a couple of differences, but it's like they both inform each other. I think being a documentary filmmaker has made me a better writer and being a, a writer has helped me in making documentary films. Well, it really, it, it's, it's about storytelling and it's just the way that you yeah. tell that story that exactly. you're doing that. And with, with documentaries, you have a ton of interviews. I think that's probably one of the common character traits of any documentary is interviews, yeah. whether it's seeing people on screen and that kind of got us asking, you have so many people for this yeah. project. I mean, you've got President Bush, you've got players and classmates. Was there yeah. a, a way that you went about getting this? Did you just sit down with Nolan Ryan and say, hey, who do you know that I could talk to? Or how did that really kind of um, come to be? Yeah, I mean, we essentially created a wish list of these are the people we would love. And the Ryan family, namely his uh, his oldest son, Reed, who's a really, really sharp, nice, smart, well-connected guy. Reed essentially would be like, okay, great. I, I can call that guy. I can call that guy. I can call that guy. Um, you might have to do your own, you know, research on that guy to get him on board. And then obviously when it came to like friends and family, like, you know, the Ryan family was like, okay, you should interview this guy. It's Nolan's best friend. Like he'll, he'll be here a couple weeks from now. I should come down and interview him then. So really using guidance from the family, uh, was kind of our first line of attack. Did you have a favorite or did anyone stand out in terms of, like, man, oh, I, I got that person. So many, I would, I mean, like. It's hard to say between, you know, Craig Biggio in the Astrodome, which was a big, you know, childhood dream of mine to go back to the Astrodome. But like, it's hard to beat George W. Bush. Um, but if I had to take George W. Bush out of the equation, I would say the two most like surprisingly enjoyable ones were Randy Johnson and Pete Rose, because I think I expected something different out of those guys. Maybe I expected more gruff and intimidating, but they're not. They were just like delighted to talk about their old baseball buddy. Yeah, that's something I picked up from the doc is those two guys stood out in terms of just their charisma. I mean, they seemed like mm -hmm. fun interviews, especially Randy Johnson recalling yes. back to his, I'm second on the strikeout list. And he's got like a thousand more than I do. I thought that was one of my favorite sort of recollections from one of your interviews. Oh, yeah. Like, that's when, he, when, when he that's said that, I didn't, even, I didn't even prompt him to say that. When he said that, I was just like, I literally go, that will be in the film no matter what. Like, I don't, there's not a world where that doesn't make the final cut of the film. But yeah, with Randy, like the, the first question I asked him, a lot of the, especially if I was interviewing another pitcher, I would ask like, who is Nolan Ryan to the art of 
form of pitching because I believe pitching is an art form. And Randy's a lot of guys would be like, oh, yeah, he's the best or like, oh, he's like, whatever. Like Randy, like went off on this like monologue about how he's like Mozart or Beethoven or Picasso. And I and like every fastball is a brushstroke on a canvas. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the big unit talking here. Like this guy's amazing. <laughs> the Mariner. That's why. Right. Yeah, Seattle. exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You know, speaking about interviews, I think one of my favorite segments of the whole film is when you're covering the fight, which, as you clearly point out during the doc, how that's what everybody knows, right? Early on, we kind of, I'll just say this, early on in the movie, we knew that has to be, that has to be in the film. You can't do a Nolan Ryan documentary and not talk about the Robin Ventura fight. It's just too, it's just too large of a moment, even though it's like fairly inconsequential in his career. And even in Robin's career, like Robin, you know, is, is an incredible, you know, player, incredible manager as well. But, you, you know, as Nolan says in the movie, it's the third question that everybody asks. And they only ask it third because they don't want to seem rude by asking it first. And it's kind of one of those just like it, it, it's what everybody asks. I'll just say that. And so we knew we wanted to tell it in a way that was surprising and a bit unconventional. And I feel like we did in a way that's really crowd pleasing, but also like takes you by surprise by kind of flashing back and show you that there's a true origin, not just to like why Ventura charged him, but as to why Nolan defended himself in the way that he did. It's, I mean, like if I'm being honest, if I'm sitting in a crowd full of, you know, a hundred people watching this movie, it's the scene that I, as the filmmaker am most excited to hear the reaction. <laughs> so, yeah, I think yeah. when you're watching it as a fan, you're, you're sort of waiting for you to get to that point yeah. in the movie where course, you're like, like, I know this is coming. This has to come at some yeah. point, right? It has to come. Um, yeah. You want to, you don't yeah. want to make wait, people wait too long, but you can't, you know, you can't open with the movie on that or you can't have it in the first act. Well, it speaks to another, you know, some of your really great choices I think that you made in the way you structured this and the way that you made it. Another one being the narration over it. Mm -hmm. It's very brief, just occasionally mm -hmm. it pops up over mm -hmm. some kind of dramatized mm -hmm. scenes and you mix mm -hmm. that in with interviews and then awesome archival footage, which is my favorite part of any sports yeah. doc. So yeah. how did you settle on this narrator? I believe his name is Mike McCray, if I'm correct yep. on that. And yep. he sounds straight out of like Field of Dreams. No lie. Well, Incredible. That's great. Well, I think it's, I mean, like, it, you know, it's probably no secret that uh, that it's, it's written in the voice of a Matthew McConaughey type, namely because we were very active in trying to get a word into McConaughey's ear that we would love to have him do this. But, you know, when you're one of the biggest movie stars in the world, it's very hard to just get a hold of somebody. So essentially, like this guy, Mike McRae, he's just like a local voiceover talent that I've worked with. He's also an, a comedian, which is hilarious. He like opens for like, I've seen him open for like Mike Birbiglia and like Bob Saget and like some like really well-known comedians. He's a genuine, he's performed on Letterman. He's just an incredible comic. And he's he, he doesn't sound like that in real life. He just has an incredible ability to, to do impressions and mimic voices. And so I just, you know, like I thought maybe we might get McConaughey. And so like we, I just wanted to have a temp VO in there and I had him come in. And I was just like, all right, I want you to do Sam Elliott, but like a little bit more, <laughs> a little, a little less gruff, not quite as yeah. gruff as Sam Elliott. And he, you know, he did a couple takes and I was like, that's pretty good. Let's do it. And we put it in. And we're just like, great. Now let's see if we can get Matthew. And then of course we couldn't get Matthew. And then I was just like, I like this. And everyone's like, yeah, great. Let's keep him in. So 
that's the story of the voiceover. Well, it was an awesome choice. Yeah, it does. It, it's like Sam Elliott plus Wilford Brimley combined. There you go. Like that's, that's good. the vibe, that's, you know? It's, yeah, yeah, it's so yeah. warm, like but yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. I just, it's an approachable but I just love voice. it. Yeah. It's an yeah, approachable yeah, yeah. voice. Yeah. It feels yeah, local. Yeah. And it mixes yeah. up the structure of the film. Like I was saying, like how, you know, it, it's not just a talking heads documentary. And, and that, right, right. It, those right. are probably the hardest to get into sometimes. Yeah. But speaking of archival footage, I got to ask about archival footage because I I do love it so much. What's the collection process like for that? Do you sit down in a basement of MLB headquarters with like a six pack of Red Bull and you just run through thousands of VHS tapes or, or how does that happen? No, if only it were that easy. Um, it's, uh, well, no, 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 it was, it was, it was MLB was really, was really pleasant to work with. They essentially said, Hey, look, Nolan Ryan is kind of like the white whale of baseball. Like people have been trying to make movies about him for years and he's always turned them down. So the fact that you get to do it, we're excited because he's still incredibly popular and we'll give you everything we have for a really fair price. But the challenge is, is they didn't start keeping tapes of every game that's ever been played until like the mid nineties. So they only had a very small amount of footage from Nolan's era. Now, thankfully, he played on a real, you know, on a World Series team in 1969. So that was all shot on film, Super 16 film, which looks great. It holds up really well. But I mean, he played for the Angels for nine years in the 70s, and and the Angels were not a marquee team. And so, like, there's no footage of his third no hitter and his fourth no hitter. That's why we had to like essentially do recreations with a, with an actor to kind of like provide cinematic visualization of what, you know, those moments might look like. So essentially the archive process was like a guy from MLB would just go, this is all we have. Here you go. And so we just had to make do. Well, I thought the approach of using reenactments was a great touch because if done well, it really mm-hmm. adds to the story. I didn't feel like it was any any time out of place. And the fact that you would not call attention to a face, but you would obviously show uniforms, it would be silhouetted. Those types of things, I think, added to the mystery of this unicorn, of this white whale that is Nolan Ryan. And that's kind of the feel we get when we watch this documentary is, I even told Aaron a couple of days ago, there's a line from The Sandlot about, you know, heroes get remembered, but legends never die. And I said, this is what they're talking about. Nolan Ryan is yeah. a legend because, and yeah. your film, I think, really captures a lot of that mm-hmm. with all these different moments. Um, I love how the film opens up with archival footage and your narrator says, we're not going to start, you know, you think we'd start with a certain event, but we're not. Right. And it got me thinking how, with all these events that have taken place, you could have easily zeroed in on one big thing. Um, right. Was there one story or event in Nolan's life that really surprised you in your research? Great Sandlot reference, by the way. I would say it's not necessarily an event. It's, well, I'll say something that really surprised me in a, in a delightful comical way was how the final out of his second no hitter was this guy coming out with a table leg instead of a bat. That story, I remember reading about that in my research and going, well, that's hilarious, but do we have footage of that? And then I found that we found the footage and it's great footage. So that was really delightful to find that those little gems of the guy coming out with the table leg and making kind of a joke about it. But from a story, from a true like storytelling point of view, no learning that Nolan was was thinking about quitting baseball in uh, 1972 after he left the Mets 
that was really surprising. I mean, you think Nolan Ryan, you think, wow, this guy was built to play for 26 plus years, 27 years. But he almost gave it up after like six years. He almost threw in the towel and it was, you know, it's his wife who had con- who convinced him to give it one more shot. And then the moment he said, okay, I'll give it one more shot, honey. That year was the year he led the league in strikeouts. So like he essentially in a matter of one year flipped the switch on his entire career and became this, this legend. That's something that I really gravitated to was this familial aspect of it that Uh, One of the messages that I picked up on was how important family was to him and being able to get connected with Ruth, I thought was brilliant because it really created this anchor that he needed to have in terms of pushing through. And I think it was his daughter or granddaughter in talking about her saying without her, he would have quit baseball. He would have said, I'm done. And so in spending time with this family, we know you're a new dad. Congrats, by the way. Um, in the stories that they were they were telling, was there anything that you felt like you learned about parenting or, or were inspired by? Wow, good question. Yeah, I mean, I found out I was going to be a dad in the, in the editing process. I think it's just, well, nobody's asked me that. It's a great question. I don't know. I think for Nolan, his whole thing, and it goes into his pitching, but if you, his whole thing is if you start something, you finish it. And that can be said about filmmaking. That can be said about a lot of things. And it, you know, it ties into him because all he wanted to do was finish every game he ever played. And he would be mad if you took him out of the game. So I think as a dad, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, if you, if you start something, you got to finish it. So that's, in my mind, that's a great piece of parenting advice. What about, yeah, this is your first directorial feature. Was there anything from a filmmaking standpoint that you learned uh, about, about the process? I mean, I know you mentioned that Filmmaking for documentaries and features are not really that much different. They're stories. But was there anything about being in the director's chair that you kind of pulled from this? Yeah, I feel like a lot of times, you know, if I've been involved in the process more as a writer or as maybe even a producer, but with a director, like everybody's looking to you to answer questions almost at all times. And you you, you can't have you can't have what what, you know, people call analysis paralysis. Um, you can think every single decision is going to change the the scope of the movie, but most of the time it's not like, you know, like your DP is going to come up to you and say, okay, what this angle or this angle? And then you just kind of have to go, all right, no, the one, like your first instinct is usually the right instinct. And a lot of times, you know, early on, especially when I would direct smaller films, I would get caught up in like, well, this one choice is going to affect the whole movie. And then I would get in my own head about that. But I feel like, especially with documentary films, when you're cutting around so much to different people, like, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe in the, uh, in the, uh, recreation, the socks that he's wearing aren't the exact replica socks from the angels in 1975. But like, is anybody really going to pick up on that? Like the socks are red. They, they fit in with the color palette. Who cares? Like, so those are just some small specific examples, but it's like, don't get bogged down in all the little details. Just keep focused on like telling the best story possible. That's awesome. Real quick on the parenting thing, kind of on the opposite side of that, I noticed at the end credits and this part's not, I don't think a spoiler, hopefully, but it does say for dad. And I just wanted to know, is that you're, are you referencing your father and, and what was his role and why were you thanking him specifically in this film? Yeah, it's it's really it, it is for my dad. It's also for for Reed's dad, who is Nolan. It's also for my producer Russell, 
his dad as well. I think we kind of meant it to be for all three, but that's why I didn't say for, you know, for John, which is my dad's name, or like for Nolan. Like in my mind, it's like, you know, it's a bit of a love letter to, to fathers in general because, and mothers too, just because, I mean, I think Ruth is the, in my mind, if you were to ask me who's the hero of the story is, I would say it's Ruth Ryan because she had to kind of be a little bit of a father figure during the years where he was playing as well, just because he was, you know, on the road so much. Yeah, I I got to admit, as much as I adore all of the baseball stuff, that's what makes this movie special to me, Bradley, is, mm. is how much it is about family as much as it is about the accomplishments on the, the diamond. So yeah, I think that it, it, you've done such a great job. Before we wrap up, though, a couple quick funny things. One, mm. or favorite, what is your favorite Nolan Ryan stat? Personally, what is it? Ooh, one. Great. One. These are some good questions, <laughs> man. I, I, haven't, I haven't been asked that one. I mean, if I had to just say the most like impressive, it might be the the no hitters, just because, I mean, God throwing a no hitter is so so difficult, and the fact that he did it seven. Technically, he should have eight no hitters if you if you go by the rules of today's baseball. But because he gave, there was one game back in the early seventies where he gave up an infield. It was an infield error that he gave up. Oh, but they hadn't changed the rule then that infield errors don't count as hits. And so he gave up an infield error, or he didn't give it up. A, 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 I think the second baseman dropped the pop fly, and the guy got on base. And this was like in 1972 or 73 or something like that. And uh, he threw a no hitter after that. It was in the first inning. So, <laughs> um, so he should so he should his he should have eight no hitters. But I mean, like as far as like I think his walks record is hilarious. I love like some people like at the right. near the very end of the near the very end of the movie, like we include some uh some of his like quote unquote not so great records like you know all-time walks leader you know all-time stolen bases given up and i feel like some some of the some of the people on the crew were like do you really want to include the like bad records and i was like yes like we got to include those because they just paint the fuller picture of who he was as a you know competitor you know like his son said like yeah he led the league in walks because do you know how many three-two counts he got into because nobody could actually get a, the ball in play? And so, like when you when you don't let people get the ball in play, you get into three-two counts, and then you know the three-two count half the time, you know, the ball it's going to go your way, and half the time it's not going to go your way, and the ump's going to call it out of the zone or something like that. So, yeah, like I think his walks, you know, leading the league in walks is a testament to like just the, the still a testament to his competitive nature. Yeah, I mean, and there's so many. And it, you're right, it really does round him out that he's not untouchable, that he has... Right, right. <laughs> he he yeah. is a man. He is a human being. He is a man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, with this under your belt, would you consider doing more baseball pitching documentaries? Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like don't... Like Greg Maddox, maybe? You know, Greg Maddox? Uh, Greg Maddox maybe. List? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I uh, Look, I mean, if somebody came to me tomorrow and said, oh, do a doc on Shohei Otani, you know, would I, would I say yes? 100%, 100%. Right. But, uh, but you know, like right now I'm, I'm producing a documentary about the Millie Vanilli scandal from the nineties, uh, which is like a, you know, a oh, big wow. music. So like that is obviously the polar opposite of Nolan Ryan. To me, it's just like what, if the story's interesting, I'll tell the story. And I find Nolan Ryan very interesting. I find Shohei Otani very interesting. I find Justin Verlander very interesting. So like, if there's a story to be told, I don't really care if it's like, it's another pitching documentary, but you know, it's just an interesting story. It 
you should be should be told, and I'm happy to be the one to do it. Well, I'd be happy to see Greg Maddox's story being told. He's <laughs> he's my Nolan Ryan. It just I I grew up with him, but didn't appreciate him until after he retired. When I got older, I was like, wow, what a what maybe a, you should do it. You know, that might be something that gets on the books at some point. I just he, he's Patrick's the short film director himself. He hasn't mentioned that, but he <laughs> there you he go. I didn't. Hey, look, dabble. I didn't. I didn't have. I had no connections to Nolan Ryan until I like had the idea and, and whipped up a, like a creative treatment. So like it's not crazier. Crazier things have happened. True. True. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, again, thank you. I mean, that's really all we got. We Thanks. both love it so much. How can people see it? What's the easiest yeah. way to get their eyeballs on your documentary? I'll just say it comes out July 19th on Apple and iTunes. So yeah, July 19th, you can, you can, uh, you can watch it from the comfort of your couch. I think it'll be on Vudu as well and, and the Fandango app. Um, but Apple iTunes is probably the easiest way. It'll also probably be on you know Amazon to rent or to buy as well fairly soon after that. And then, you know, the hope is that it does well enough that it'll eventually get an acquisition by Netflix this year or early next year. That's our hope. ESPN is going to be salty because this is like the best type <laughs> of, this is like a prime 30 for 30 content right here that they missed yeah. out on. So yeah, yeah. You know, who knows? Yeah. Maybe they'll be making you a pitch uh, before. Maybe too long. we'll see. We'll no see. pun intended. No pun intended. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh! One more thing, Bradley. Where can people yeah. follow you personally? So if they want to keep up with your next project, Fun Millie Vanilli, and yeah. future workings, I think I'm on Twitter at Bradley Jackson and Bradley H Jackson is my Instagram. So yeah, those two are. Uh, you know, I'm I'm more of a Twitter user, but uh, I'll do the occasional Instagram post. All right. Well, thank you again for your time. We yeah. appreciate you and we're looking forward to whatever you do in the future. Thanks, man. Appreciate the, the conversation. Well, we hope you enjoyed our conversation with director Bradley Jackson on his documentary film, Facing Nolan. That's it this week on FF+. Plus. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling film.